With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is February the 11th, 2022, um, and the world seems to be coming unglued at the seams. Um, those of you following the news certainly know that Russia is poised, uh, appears to be poised, to invade um, the Ukraine. Um, the Olympics are ongoing uh, with minimum uh, participation by viewers here in the United States and hopefully elsewhere around the world. Uh, it's incredible because when you look at everything that is going on and you look at the truckers uh, blockading uh, the border to the United States from Canada, uh, you realize that there's anger and frustration around the world brought on by leaders who seem to be tone deaf to their own citizens, especially in supposedly free countries. Look, I, I don't like the idea of blockades. It's doing a lot of harm to the U.S. economy. It's doing harm to the Canadian economy. It's going to make life more difficult. But I think that the Canadians feel that they're at the end of their rope. What in the world do you do when your government that's supposed to be a, a democracy that is supposed to listen to its own citizens refuses to listen? Um, in the United States, we're told that the Democrats are following the science. I, one of the commentators at Fox said, well, if it's science, they're following political science. The masks are coming down. Um, all these things that are happening. But what really concerns me about all of this is that it's been my uneasy feeling from the beginning that what we've been witnessing is an effort by our government the United States government under the Biden administration to condition Americans to do as they're told and be docile little children. And this has been going on for quite a while, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it started, again, to my thinking, when you had people saying, we're going to protect children from the schoolyard bullies. And I used to get the crap beat out of me every other week I was a science guy. I was back then an egghead. Today they call them nerds. I didn't care about sports. I cared about science. I cared about the astronauts and test pilots. They were my heroes. And as I've said before in this program, I will still put America's test pilots and astronauts up against any supposed sports hero. My favorite oxymoron is heroic play. I'm trying to figure out how you can be a hero when you're playing. So I used to have a rough time of it. I was a scrawny kid. I used to get beat up all the time. And then my dad, who was a construction worker or a tradesman, insisted that I go to a gym, that I put some weight on, that I learned how to box once I built up my muscles, which I did. That is, he told me, you're either going to have to fight them today or you're going to have to fight them tomorrow, and they're going to try to hurt you. And the best thing you could do is, do to them what they want to do to you, but they have to throw the first punch. You don't throw the first punch. They have to. But once they do, they need to learn to regret it. My dad was right. And that's how America has generally used its military, not to conquer lands, but to defend our nation, to defend our citizens. And the kids today in school aren't learning those lessons. They've been told that if they're upset and if they're not feeling so wonderful, we'll give them a puppy to pet and we'll blame things on other people and we'll vilify and, and we will divide America up by turning America into a nation of, of, of grievance uh, wielders, I guess. I'm not sure what term we use. 
No one has ever become successful by complaining about someone else doing better than they did. Now, when you look at this whole nonsense of critical race theory, I just want to go from that to where we are today. Certainly, history should be taught to our children, good, bad, and ugly. Slavery was horrific. Let's not conceal it. It happened. But let's not take it out of context. When America engaged in slavery, most of the rest of the world engaged in slavery, and it was America and Great Britain that fought mightily to end slavery around the world. Let's not leave that out of the equation. Let's not leave out of the equation how many other people have suffered because of the stupidity of bigotry and racism around the world throughout history. It's amazing that Whoopi Goldberg didn't get it about the Holocaust. For me, it's a personal issue. I'm Jewish. I was named for my mother's mother who was slaughtered in Poland because of our religion. My mom, thankfully, was able to get out of Poland. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. My children wouldn't be here. My grandchildren wouldn't be here. My grandmother, not so lucky. She was trapped in Poland, and it cost her her life, along with many other members of my family. The Holocaust was outrageous. It was an atrocity, um, and yet Whoopi Goldberg, clueless. Oh, it was white against white. Yeah, well, okay, sure thing. We need to teach history as it existed and in context so that people understand that any atrocities are unacceptable. Look at what is happening in China right now with the Uyghurs. You have the athletes that are taking a knee because America is this horrible country, and while they're bending on knee, they're wearing sneakers that were probably manufactured by slaves. This self-centered nonsense that only black lives matter offends me. Every life matters period. And we are at our best when we treat people equally with opportunities and with mutual respect. Instead of critical race theory, we need to be teaching critical empathy theory. There is no resolution to saying that America can never redeem itself going back to 1619. So therefore, what are we going to do? Erase America? So let's say we're stupid enough to fall for this garbage. Who's waiting in the wings to take control of the world? Countries that you think you'd like to live under their regime, like China, like Russia, like Iran? How does that work out? You know, my mom used to say that you don't throw out the dirty water until you have clean water. You want to tell me what's wrong with America? And we'll look at these issues. And yes, there were things that America has done that were wrong, just like every human being makes mistakes. Every human being may. I don't know anybody who is blameless, faultless, never had a day or two or three that you wish that you could erase because you look back and say, what in the world was I thinking? Why in the world did I do that? Or why in the world didn't I do something differently? It's part of being human. My parents taught me that we put erasers on the back of pencils because people are flawed and we make mistakes. Mistakes are inevitable. And since countries are run by people and people are far from perfect, governments make mistakes. Regimes do things wrong. But going back to the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the idea was to make a more perfect union. And this country has taken some incredible strides to take us in that direction, to try to make this union more perfect. Are we there yet? Of course not. Will we ever be there? I don't know that perfection is within human possibility. But we certainly work our tails off trying, trying to do our best to right the wrongs and make certain that they don't continue. You don't replace one brand of racism with another brand of racism and, and, and claim that that's a success, that that's a good outcome. All it does is create resentment. All it does is foster um, conflict. We're at our best when we seek peaceful conflict resolution. Critical race theory is an incubator for conflict. It's an instigator for conflict. 
the politicians like to talk about how they want to unify us, bring us together. How can you bring us together when you preach a doctrine that by its toxic nature is designed to make one group hate the other group and resent the other group? And if you keep pushing people into a corner, you wind up with what we're seeing in Canada, the blockade. They've been pushed into a corner. And suddenly these truckers said, how do we go from heroes to zeros overnight? We were delivering the food. We were putting our own lives on the line, risking catching this terrible virus. We were there. We were the lifeline. Same thing here in the United States. Think about the heroes, the nurses, the heroes, the firemen, the heroes, the police officers, the federal agents, the military. And all of a sudden, a couple of wackaloons grabbed the microphone, make the loudest noise, and we went from the cops or our heroes to defund the police. Think about that. Think about something else. If you look at how George Floyd died and others who died because of police action, and I'm not justifying what happened, understand that. But in each case, with almost no exceptions, the individuals who were killed resisted arrest. And now you've got prosecutors saying, we're not going to prosecute you if you resist arrest, encouraging more people to resist arrest. People should understand. If a, if a law enforcement officer, federal, state, local, says you're under arrest, you're supposed to submit and comply with lawful orders and resolve it in the courtroom, not on the street corner. Things go badly when people resist arrest. That police officer, that federal agent is armed, and so we now have a potential for someone overpowering them, getting their firearm. Think of uh, the Michael Brown incident where he went for the cop's gun. If people would simply submit, they go through the process, they'd be alive. That's not to say that the cops were right. All I'm saying is let's look at things objectively. Why do you have prosecutors and politicians saying, oh, resisting arrest shouldn't be a crime? Because all that's going to do is encourage more people to fight with the police, and the potential for a very bad outcome is always there in that setting. I remember one day I had a warrant to arrest a drug dealer from Jamaica. I had arrested him several times before. He was violent. He was always involved with firearms and cocaine and other drugs. We had a warrant from for reentry after deportation. And I had arrested this guy several times. We prosecuted him several times. I recognized his voice. I was in the office. I had just made an arrest. And in the interview room next door to the fingerprint room, I hear this guy, you know, in a loud voice, arguing with another agent in my squad. And I walked into the room, and he just looked up at me. And I said, what name did he give you? He lied about his name to my colleague. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, Mr. Cutler, I'm sorry. And when he got into the arraignment, when we took him into federal court, he told the federal magistrate that the agent had hit him. And the magistrate asked him, well, what did you do? He said, well, I kicked the agent and I threw something at him. So in trying to handcuff me, he hit me because they always ask the defendant, were you mistreated? And the judge said, wait a minute, you threw the first punch? And he said, yes. And he said, what did you expect the agent to do, run away? He said to someone who threw a punch at a federal agent and kicked him, you look like you're in pretty good shape. Lesson on you is that you don't do that. You don't resist arrest because he said, I'll charge you with additional charges if the prosecutor does it. You have no right to resist arrest. What, what are we trying to strive for in America today? More conflict, more violence, tear down America. America can't be redeemed. We go back to the 1619 Project. So, again, to those who would want to take America apart and dismantle it and trash it and wreck it, what government do you propose is waiting in the wings that you would love to go live under their rule? Would you like to live under the Iranian government? Would you like to live under the Russian government? How about the Chinese government? Warts and all, I personally will put America up against any other country as the best government we've seen. 
Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Are there things that I wish we could change? Sure, but there's no time machine. So if you can't go back in time to undo things, then you go forward in time and change the way you do business, change the way you govern, change the way you treat your people. This whole idea about social justice, we're going to release criminals onto the street. And I mentioned it last week. I'm going to make the point again. That's not social justice. I'm sorry. They could call it whatever they want. But you can't cover up the stench of that lie with this kind of nonsense. Real social justice means that from the time a child is born, that child should have every opportunity to success. Every child should be able to live in a wholesome, safe environment with good nutrition and good education. And maybe it starts by teaching children in junior high school and high school about parental responsibility. There are groups out there that want to tear families apart. This isn't social justice. This is about the destruction of America. Plain and simple. Families are so important. A child who lives with a mother and father who care for them and love them and show them affection and give them a sense of self-worth and possibilities, that child is far more likely to be successful than a child who grows up in a broken household where there's chaos and violence. Abused children become abusive parents. It's a very simple thing. And if you go into the jails, and talk to the people who are there for petty crimes, street crimes, violent crimes. Most of them are functionally illiterate. This isn't like Willie Sutton was robbing banks and walking away with millions of dollars. Not that I'm recommending you rob banks because you can walk away with millions of dollars. But the point is that the street thug um, is, is you know, living in a, in a life of chaos constantly with a low life expectancy. Why? How do they get into that situation? Because their environment, as they were growing up, didn't provide for them the fundamental necessities that generally help a child to reach his or her full potential. That's what parents are supposed to do for their children. Encourage studies, encourage morality, encourage decency. Show a child what the possibilities are. Let the child feel loved. There are programs on parolees and pit bulls. These are people who grew up without love, without affection. They were violent because they didn't know any different form of life. And suddenly they were given a dog to, to work with. And suddenly this, this dog gave them the sense of, of affection and need, um, the human elements that go into making up a happy, successful human being because it was lacking from their lives as children. So social justice isn't taking somebody who operates in a sociopathic fashion for one reason or another and put them out on the street because we're going to have social justice and we incarcerate too many people. You want to talk about root cause? Let's go back to the people that are in jail and look at what their childhoods were like. How many of them came from broken families? How many of them experienced violence? at the hands of the adults in their life, whether they were in foster care, whether they were living with an abusive parent, whoever it was cared for them. How many times have we seen those stories about children being beaten to death by a, by a parent or, or a parent's boyfriend or girlfriend or scalding them or torturing them or malnourishment? We go down the whole list about children that were abused and that ended really badly. That's when you need to address it. Not when the person is 19 years old and he's got a rap sheet you could paper your living room with, but when the child is born to try to do everything we can to make sure that people who have children understand that they have a responsibility to that child. Maybe they themselves grew up in a chaotic world and they're looking for that child so they have someone to love. We need to address these issues, and certainly jails, are not the correctional facilities we would like them to be. There's so many things we need to do. But job one should be protecting innocent people in our society. The person who's going to work or going to school who gets attacked 
with some lunatic with a baseball bat. We saw that video play out. Some Chinese lady uh, gets attacked by some guy who was just let out of jail. Takes the baseball bat to her skull. They're not even sure if she's going to survive. He fractured her skull with a baseball bat. Social justice, he was out on the street. Where was his victims? Social justice. And when you start this nonsense about one race versus another race, critical race, race theory, and people are angry about COVID, we've seen so many people of Asian ethnicity violently attacked. Why? Well, I really believe that that message about, you know, critical race in the twisted mind, that becomes justification. This nonsense has to stop. And as parents and as aunts and uncles and grandparents, we need to have our voices heard. We need to have our voices heard. It's only a small minority of wackaloons that are getting what they want. They removed the statue of Theodore Roosevelt outside the American Museum of Natural History. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And when they did a survey here in New York City, 11% of New York people that were polled said, statue has to go. 89% said, no way, that statue needs to stay there. Guess what? The statue was removed. How did 11% gain control over 89%? Because the 89% are sitting on their hands and they're afraid of embarrassing themselves or insulting somebody or being accused of something. The problem with being too decent sometimes is we're afraid of hurting someone else's feelings. I've gotten to the point where I don't care if I hurt your feelings. Did I upset you? That's cool. I can live with it. I don't care. I don't care. People are dying. I turned on the news this morning. It's a terrifying thing to do. Turn on the news. And what was the report today here in the Big Apple, New York City, the one shining apple? It's now a rotted apple, rotted to the core. In the last 24 hours, there were 11 shootings, three of which were fatal. 11 shootings in a 24-hour period? Is that social justice? And they didn't talk about the color of the people who were shot, but I'll tell you what the odds are. This isn't social justice. And the fear that someone's going to say something terrible. People say to me, aren't you worried they're going to call you a racist because you want the immigration laws enforced? I said, yeah, they do it all the time. The ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, which is full of crap all the way from top to bottom, they had a whole article about how I was anti-immigrant. And, and you'll see it on their website about the haters, the immigrant haters. I don't hate people, but we have a certain number of people we can take in. You can only invite so many people to a party. You can only put so many passengers on an airliner or, or an ocean liner or a hotel has occupancy for so many people, and then they say, okay, all the rooms are booked, sorry, can't come here. Is that because they hate people that want to come and pay money to stay in the hotel? No, it's because they're at capacity. They're at capacity. I'm not sure what America's capacity is, but we can't allow hundreds of thousands of people to come in every single month who shouldn't be here because we already admit a million lawful immigrants every year. These are people getting green cards, and then we admit tens of millions of temporary workers and visitors and, and students. We're overwhelmed. I turned on the news again. This morning they were talking about the drought in the West. Oregon now has a serious water shortage. So how many more people do you want to bring to America when we don't have enough water as it is? We don't have enough food. We don't have enough electricity. Concerns about the power grid. But keep them all coming, folks. Keep them all coming. And that seems to be what Joe Biden's strategy is. After he screwed up Afghanistan and turned 5,000 uh, terrorists loose, we have a wide-open border. If you look at the 9-11 Commission report, they were crystal clear that border security is national security. So you have the liars talking about social justice, meaning don't imprison anybody, even when they're violent, even when they hurt people, even when they go into stores and rob the stores, the stores are closing, and people that live in those neighborhoods, they won't have any place to go get groceries or, or medication or whatever, daily essentials. Is that social justice? 
that the store that's down the block is gone and the store two blocks away is gone and the store five blocks away. So now you've got to get on a bus to go get a container of milk and you have to spend an hour and a half between the bus ride and the, is, is that social justice? We get a catchphrase and everyone says, oh, we have to have social justice. No, we have to have common sense. Common sense and consideration and compassion for decent people minding their own business who are getting hit by baseball bats and bullets. Why? Wrong place in the wrong time. Shame on you. You were sitting in your car. What were you thinking? Children have been shot in their own beds. Bullets came through the wall and through the windows. What were those parents thinking? Putting their child in their own bed? Those fools. Shame on them. Maybe the child should have been sleeping in the bathtub because maybe the metal would have stopped the bullets. And this is what we call social justice. This is insanity. This is absolute lunacy. And people say to me, well, if you speak out, aren't people going to say things? So they can say things. I don't care. I really don't care. As a federal agent, I made bad guys very unhappy. And the more unhappy they were, the happier I was. Because we're talking about murderers and drug traffickers and human traffickers and terrorists and fugitives. So if they weren't happy, I was, because I know I did my job and I made the street that much safer. I remember my buddies and I talked about it all the time. He would lodge a guy in the jail, and maybe we didn't get the paperwork done to 2 o'clock in the morning, and I remember driving over the bridge to my house, and you see all the lights out, 2 o'clock in the morning. Lights are out, people are asleep. I used to jokingly say I felt like Superman. You know, we all did. You're driving home, and you're looking at these windows where people are sleeping, and they didn't know it, but I just helped to make the street a little bit safer because I took a child rapist off the street. I took a sex offender off the street. I took a murderer off the street and sent him back to his country so he could stand trial. And by the way, that happened with somebody from England, somebody from Israel. This isn't about Mexico. This isn't about brown skin. It's about criminals. It's about bad guys. Because every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. I got an award from the government of Japan. Last time I checked, the people who live in Japan are not Latinos, okay? Last time I checked, the people who are citizens of Israel aren't Latinos. They might be, but the individual that we arrested was of European ancestry, just like myself. This isn't about race. This isn't about bigotry. It's not about hatred. The only thing I hate are criminals and the harm they do to decent people. And if you don't hate that, you can stop listening to this program right now because I'm wasting my time with you. Whatever happened to the notion that you judge a society by the way that it cares for its most vulnerable? That's how you measure the civility of a society. What do you do to care for the most vulnerable, the children, the elderly, the infirm? They need help. They need someone to look out for them. They need someone to protect them. I remember one day some old, old man was walking down the street. He could barely make it down the street. He must have been in his 90s. And I was there with two of my buddies. We were on duty. We were going out to make an arrest. And some thug was running up behind this guy. And we're walking towards him. And he was about to hit this guy over the head. And he looked at us. And I opened up my jacket. I had a shoulder holster on. He saw the gun. And he bolted across the street and disappeared into an alleyway. He hadn't taken any action. In those days, we didn't have police authority. We became peace officers in New York City after that time. But we protected this old man from this thug. He didn't even see us. He was, you know, barely getting down the block, kind of looking at the sidewalk with a bag that looked like it had maybe a container of milk or something in it. So without even realizing what had almost happened to him, we prevented this, this old man from being attacked. And I have to tell you, it was a high. It was an emotional high, knowing that this old gentleman was going to make it to his house in one piece that day. God knows what happened the next day. You measure the civility of a society by the way it looks after those that can't look after themselves. 
Is there anybody out there that wants to argue this point? We hear all about the immigrants and what they want, but in this case they're talking about illegal aliens. And by minimizing the difference between illegal alien and immigrant, we're actually impugning the integrity of the immigrants, the people who come to America because it's their lifelong dream. They jump through the hoops. They wait online. They do what they're supposed to do. They play by the rules, and they get lumped into the group of people who are fugitives and criminals and terrorists and drug dealers and all the rest that want to come here to exploit the system for their own selfish purposes. Is that justice? Is that fair? Of course it's not. And now you look at what Biden is doing, and again, I keep coming back to how we keep hearing about the border, the border, the border, the border, the border. And I have to tell you, what I find very upsetting to me is that you can't secure the border at the border, but this is, again, the fantasy being created by the politicians and the journalists and everybody else who really doesn't want to change the dynamics. Now, don't misunderstand. Do we need the border wall? Absolutely. When I compare the wall on the border to a wing on an airplane, and if you've heard this before, you know what I'm about to say. Without a wing, an airplane won't fly, but the wing by itself sits on the runway and goes nowhere. The border wall is an element of what should be a coordinated immigration system that protects America and Americans while honoring our tradition of being a welcoming country. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it categorizes the groups of aliens who should be kept out of the United States. It has nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Think COVID, think Ebola, okay? resistant tuberculosis, aliens who are mentally ill, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies and human rights violators and fugitives from justice and Nazi fugitives, human traffickers, drug smugglers. And then we get to aliens who have become a public charge or if they work with displaced Americans. That's what the laws are about, protecting the lives and jobs of Americans. How dare we? What are we thinking? U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and, and again, I've, I've written about it, I've spoken about it, I've testified before a bunch of hearings about it. The way DHS was put together by George W. Bush was designed to screw us royally even after 9-11, and everyone realized that those attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system, because Bush is a globalist. His whole family were globalists. I was told that every time I testified before Congress, he would have a hissy fit. When my name came up in the Oval Office, I was told he had a meltdown. I only wish I had a video clip. I'd run it on a loop and giggle every single day. It would give me joy. Because what he did by splitting immigration in half between Customs and Border Protection and ICE and folding in all these other non-immigration agencies violated the Homeland Security Act. And according to John Hostetler, who was the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, I was at that hearing when he said it, that what they did by putting DHS together the way that they did, the Bush administration gave us immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the immigration laws, and protect the American people. Thank you, George W. It's both parties that have done this to us folks. Trump was the only president for the past several decades who gave a rat's tail about sovereignty. But it's not just the border. Because aliens are coming in through international airports. They're coming across the Canadian border. They're coming on ships. But the point for them is to get here and stay here. And if you look at this press release just issued by Customs um, Enforcement, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE releases um, an RFP. An RFP, by the way, is, is a, 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 a new document or a new acronym for me, request for proposal, God only knows. What they really want to do is ICE releases RFP, the case manager program geared towards young adults. Let me read this to you. This is insanity. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, is requesting contract bids. Uh, I wonder who's going to get the money, folks. Follow the money. Follow the money. Contract bids to aid the agency in establishing the Young Adult Case Management Program to assist young adults who pose a low risk of flight ages 18 to 19 with the immigration process and facilitate access to community services. Really. 
what we keep doing is incentivizing illegal immigration. And people are dying in the desert. And people are coming in, and we're not screening them because they're destroying their documents. Interesting news uh, article the other day. Nicaragua will not take back their citizens if we want to deport them unless they have their passports. And what are they finding all along the border? Ripped up travel documents, including Nicaraguan and other passports, including passports from terror-sponsoring countries so that aliens rip up their passports, and then they go up to immigration and say, hi, I'm from Mexico. They try that gambit. If it works, that means that they only get pushed back to Mexico, not deported all the way back to their home country. That's item number one. Item number two, interesting anecdote for you. The weekend after Osama bin Laden was wiped out by our guys, and they took him out and they raided his compound, I was on Fox, and Governor Huckabee was on. He at the time was running for president. Um, obviously, he didn't run. He, you know, he got down the path and then withdrew his, uh, his efforts. But at this point, I, I, he was on ahead of me. And so he was sitting on the curvy couch. This was, again, the weekend after bin Laden was killed. And they were showing these images of men in the Middle East burning flags, burning effigies of Obama, chanting death to America. And Governor Huckabee said, we need to know who those people are. We should get their passport numbers so if they ever try to enter the United States, we can keep them out because they pose a threat to our safety and our survival because undoubtedly they'd want to come here and kill us. And I was waiting at another camera to have a debate with an attorney, I think in Texas or someplace, but I was in the studios here in New York City, and I was told by the control room that I was about a minute out or 90 seconds out from my segment. Huckabee finished. As he walked past me, I, I grabbed his arm. I said, hey, Governor, your point is well taken. But what happens when these same folks get to the U.S.-Mexican border and destroy their documents so we have no idea who they are? Because he was talking about how we have to treat the people who are here illegally decently and give them a pathway to, to lawful status. I said, how do we give people a pathway to lawful status when they may well have just burned their passports so we have no idea who they are? And his jaw dropped. He said, my gosh, I never thought of it. I said, well, this has been my life's work. I was an agent for 30 years. It's not as uncommon as you might think. He said, my gosh, why didn't I think of that? And I, and I think he's sincere. Governor Huckabee is a real decent guy. Um, I've had coffee with him a number of times in the green room. And he doesn't come across like the typical politician, you know, you know who I am kind of routine, very down to earth. He comes across as, as the guy that you'd like to have living next door to you and, and you know, have barbecues together on the weekend. But that's the question no one asks. If these folks burn their passports, now what do we do? And running fingerprints frequently doesn't tell you anything because their system may not be compatible with ours. The countries they come from may not keep fingerprints, or the other countries might be corrupt, and for an adequate amount of money, 10 or 20 bucks, fingerprints disappear. That's what we're up against. And we're allowing in hundreds of thousands of people every month under this administration. And again, I want you to remember the number 19. Think about the number 19. Why am I saying the number 19? Because on 9-11, 19 terrorists killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. So item one, ICE is concerned about these 18-year-olds. I'm concerned about them also, but how many of them might be members of transnational gangs? And it's funny because the subtitle of the thing is Combating Transnational Crime. This is on the customs news release, combating trans. How are you combating transnational crime when you're turning 18 and 19-year-olds loose because you somehow decided they're a low risk of flight? They have no ties to the community. Their identities can't be verified. I used to argue bail to the U.S. attorneys. Those two items by themselves are enough for someone to be remanded without bail. No ties to the community. Identities can't be verified. What are we doing? What are we doing? Overwhelming the immigration system so that it implodes. If you can't protect America, what are you doing? 
I'll go back to what I said before. You judge the civility of a nation, the worth of a nation, by its willingness to take reasonable actions to protect the most vulnerable. Turning criminals and potential terrorists loose in our country by the tens of thousands, I'm, I'm telling you, makes no sense. It's incongruous. It's dangerous. And this will be the gift that keeps on giving. We've seen people turned loose from Guantanamo, and they wound up back on the battlefield overnight. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, but I'm not even sure that the Biden administration has good intentions. I'd like someone to explain to me what they think they're doing, what their ultimate goal is, what the end result is of this journey they're taking us on. We're kind of like passengers in a hijacked airplane. God only knows where this airplane's going to land. But it's not very promising. And then Epic, the Epic uh, Times published a report February the 10th, just a couple days ago. U.S. Immigration Agency changes mission and removes key phrases. And here we're talking about U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. This is the agency that adjudicates applications for green cards, for extension of time in the United States, for political asylum, even for United States citizenship. I compare citizenship and immigration services to our nation's locksmith. Because if you give somebody a green card or you give somebody a U.S. passport, I don't care how tall that border wall is, and I don't care if they put electrified concertine wire on top of it. If you have a passport, you have a green card, you walk into a port of entry, you slap that down on the desk in front of that inspector, that's the job I did for four years, folks, so I'm not speaking uh, from, you know, some God knows harebrained idea. And you put that document down, and you're told, welcome home, and they stamp you in, and that border wall doesn't matter one bit. And you can bring in family members, and those documents help you to travel around the world because of the way that whole business is set up. So let me read this to you, and this is from the Epic Times. A key federal agency on February the 10th changed its mission statement, removing several key phrases. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, quote, upholds America's promise as a nation of welcome and possibility with fairness, integrity, and respect for all we serve. That's the new mission statement. Well, the old statement when President Trump occupied the Oval Office, let me read this to you. Administering the nation's lawful immigration system, safeguarding its integrity, and promise by efficiently and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland, and honoring our values. That's not what this administration is about. Protect the homeland? Secure the homeland? Protecting Americans? No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? They want criminals loose on the street. This is a reign of terror being imposed on us by a bunch of lunatics who've taken control of political systems around the country, various cities and states. Look at the carnage. Any life lost is a life too many that's lost. And when police officers do things that are improper, they need to be made accountable. I remember getting firearms training. We had to qualify every 90 days. They always made the point, if you're in a shootout, every bullet you fire, every trigger pull will have a separate um, memo. You might fire eight rounds, and the first seven rounds are perfect, and the eighth round will put you in jail. Every time you pull the trigger, you will be accountable for that trigger pull. You better be able to justify the use of deadly force. Very simple. I agree. So we've defunded the police. We've handcuffed the police. All kinds of actions have been taken to make a cop's life impossible. And how many people are dying, not by police bullets or by police action? The numbers are off the charts, and police officers are getting gunned down every day just about now. But they call this social justice. Yes, we have children being shot in cars, in their strollers, in their mother's arms while they're sleeping in their beds, because we have social justice. Does anybody see something wrong here? If you can't provide for the safety of your citizens, nothing else you do as a country matters. It makes America irrelevant. It makes our government irrelevant. 
if you're turning violent thugs loose and you tell me that's social justice, I will tell you you're a liar. There's no justice of any sort when you see how many children are being gunned down, how many innocent people are being gunned down, people being hit over the head with baseball bats, and politicians saying, oh, we're not going to prosecute people for resisting arrest. So we encourage more confrontations between criminals and police so that inevitably there will be more screw-ups or there will be more situations where somebody dies so we can justify more riots and more calls for defunding the police. It's insane. And the agency that's supposed to be America's locksmith, God help us. But let me continue reading this Epic Times article because this is really important. So I read to you the old statement from the Trump administration, which makes perfect sense, administering the nation's lawful immigration system, safeguarding its integrity and promise by efficiently and fairly adjudicating requests for immigration benefits while protecting Americans, securing the homeland, and honoring our values. (laughs) Nothing in there should upset anybody. But they said USCIS, with approximately 19,000 employees, oversees legal immigration to the United States. Er Jadu, the agency's director, said the new statement, quote, reflects the inclusive character of both our country and this agency, adding, the United States is and will remain a welcoming nation that embraces people from across the world who seek family reunification, employment, or professional opportunities and humanitarian protection. USCIS is committed to ensuring that the immigration system we administer is accessible and humane, and we look forward to the future. Any commitment will remain the same. USCIS will continue to serve the public with respect and fairness and lead with integrity to reflect America's promise as a nation of welcome and possibility today and for generations to come. Well, to do, they say, an outspoken critic, a former President Donald Trump added, Michael Knowles, the president of the AFGE Local 1924, said the union supports the statement. He told the Epic Times in an email that it reflects the views of many employees who do this important work. So what they've done is to train the people who are working there, and they will be there for the next administration and the administration afterwards, changing the culture of an agency so that they no longer think that they're a watchdog to protect America from terrorists and criminals, to thinking that everyone should be approved and get in. And this is the mentality of Alejandro Mayorkas, and I've written about him for Front Page Magazine, and I said that under Mayorkas, and it's documented, he was investigated by the Office of Inspector General when he headed up Citizenship and Immigration Services for the Obama administration, when he was ordering applications for visas be approved, even when legally there was no justification for approving them, and even approved applications for visas when the FBI warned that people involved had connections potentially to Iranian terrorist groups. So this is now an approval machine. Get out the approval stamp. It's it's like when we used to get the credit cards. Congratulations, you're pre-approved. So I, I just want to read a couple of quick statements to you because this is beyond belief it's off the charts what they're doing now changing the culture of the agency and 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 this is something that will hobble any effort for quite some time to come think about that think about that you've got a whole bunch of employees and even if we have a different president hopefully in a couple of years and they want to go back you have people sitting there saying, oh, no, 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 no. We're supposed to say, yes, 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 yes. How dare you not let someone in? So what if he's been arrested for child abuse? So what if we don't know who he is? We have to approve it. We're a welcoming nation. They've indoctrinated the newest workforce at America's locksmith so that their inclination will be to approve everything. And uh, meanwhile, let me, let me read this. This is from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. And, you know, I I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. So let me start out with the preface of the – there's a special report that they wrote, 9-11 and terrorist travel. This was actually written by the staff of the 9-11 Commission. These are the lawyers and federal agents who were assigned to the commission. It starts out by saying, it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, 
no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discuss in the following pages, that it must be made one. How clear is that? The visa process. USCIS is involved with the visa process along with State Department. Okay? And then they make a couple of other points. Um, okay, by analyzing information available at the time, we identified numerous entry and embedding tactics associated with earlier attacks in the United States. And this was the attack. Um, there were a whole bunch of them, but think of the first World Trade Center bombing in 93 and the shooting at the CIA and so forth. So World Trade Center bombing, February 1993, three terrorists who involved with the first World Trade Center bombing reportedly traveled on Saudi passports containing an indicator of possible terrorist affiliation. Three of the 9-11 hijackers also had passports containing the same possible indicator of terrorist affiliation. In addition, Ramsey Yusuf, the mastermind of the attack, and Ahmed Ajaj, who was able to direct aspects of the attack despite being held in prison for using an altered passport, traveled under aliases using fraudulent documents. The two of them were found to possess five passports, as well as numerous documents supporting their aliases. A Saudi passport showing signs of alteration, an Iraqi passport bought from a Pakistani official, a photo-substituted Swedish passport, a photo-substituted British passport, a Jordanian passport, identification cards, bank records, education records, and medical records. And then they go on, this report goes on and says, once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. In fact, immigration fraud was a topic in my very first hearing back on May 20th, 97, four years before 9-11 because of the earlier attacks. Because we all know that people lie on these applications, and you should know that Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, has now said that even if they naturalize someone and they come to find out that the person lied about material facts, on their application for citizenship, which is a felony, they will not pursue it because if we've given you citizenship, you have every right to stay here and be confident and safe and secure in America because America is about letting the world come to America. Think about that. You can lie on your application for citizenship, and they won't take any action, but God help you if you lie on your tax returns because Joe Biden wants to hire tens of thousands of IRS auditors and agents. You're an American citizen. We can't trust you. Domestic terrorist, number one threat, we're told, right? Think about that. So anyway, it goes on and, and says that once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaz concocted bogus political asylum stories. Think about all these people coming in now. Political asylum, political asylum, right? Political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming he had picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agricultural Worker Program but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa after he dropped out he remained in the united states out of status think about that they were illegal aliens they were able to rent a truck and drive the truck because they could get licenses and now you have places like new york state and pennsylvania and california and illinois giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens think about that why this is what the terrorists are using to carry out attacks how many motor vehicles have been used around the world to carry out terror attacks Page 61 of that report says, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, Human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials, unquote, necessary to aid terrorist travel. I'm going to read one more passage. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. 
As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, which is what all these people are getting by the Biden administration, or applying for asylum after entering. Here we go again, asylum. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. The waiting line because of what, uh, what Biden has done is now years. People are getting court dates years from now. So permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Now, reading again, terrorists, terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. This is found on page 98 of that report. The one question that I wish that Trump had asked Biden during the debate, not can you say law enforcement Joe, that was terrible. He should have asked, Joe, have you read the 9-11 Commission report? Very simple. Because everything that the Biden administration is doing and everything that it is not doing violates the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. What in the world is going on? And if, God forbid, there's an attack, Iran is racing to get nuclear weapons. They have sleeper agents throughout the United States. I've spoken about it before. We know that Hezbollah is working with human traffickers throughout Latin America to flood the United States with narcotics and sleeper agents. If, God forbid, there's an attack, what are we going to be told? Probably they'll lie and say it was committed by an American citizen or write about critical race theory? I mean, at what point does this government understand its responsibility for national security and public safety? We really need to have conversations with the people that are seeking public office and do not make presumptions that somebody who belongs to one party over another party is necessarily going to do what needs to be done. We need to be asking the pointed questions. We need to know where these politicians truly stand because no less the national security and public safety are hanging in the balance. This is about the future of our country. As a consequence, folks, this is about the future of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. We owe it to them that we stand up and get our voices heard. My dad taught me that I would teach people how they should treat me by demonstrating what I am willing to accept. To see what is playing out on our streets today with criminals being released, with our borders being eradicated at a time when we've never been at a greater risk, given all of the actions going on around the world, you have to wonder if this administration isn't seeking the MVP award by terrorist groups drug trafficking organizations, China, Russia, Iran, God only knows. Enough is enough. The stakes could not be higher. We need to get our voices heard. We need to do so peacefully, rationally, and we need to have conversations with our neighbors. They've been lied to by the mainstream media, and you can get away with your lies for so long, but pretty soon people develop a good BS detector. What was it that President Lincoln said? You can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. I hope you find my program helpful. Please share it. The podcast will be up in a couple of minutes. Share it with as many people as you can. Please be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Check out my articles at Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and usincorporated.org, U-S-I-N-C. Org, or just go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Have those conversations with your neighbors. Let's celebrate the First Amendment, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful weekend, and please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Be well, stay safe, and I look forward to seeing you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.